You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the Gospel of Luke 2, 1-7 and Proverbs 4, 8. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. The word of the Lord. So how many people, once in a while, their home is a mess? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, good. We're here. Uh, at home, let me see you raise your hand. I want to see if you raise your hand at home. Um, and, and you ever ask yourself... Like in the middle of cleaning, in the middle of working on relationships, in the middle of working on your own heart, in the middle of all of these things. Is there another thing in the cross there? My daughter. Good Lord. Hadley did that? I, mean, I was about, like, you know, I was just about, Sophia was about to get it, but now it's adorable, so thank you, Hadley. Who put it there? Did you put it there? Our kids are awesome on so many levels, and we're about to see how awesome they are, because we're going to use some of their pictures today. But do you ever ask yourself, what are we working for? Like, what is the end game here? All of the daily toil and struggle, the ups and downs, you try so hard to be a great mom and dad, you do everything you possibly can, John and Steph, listen up here a little bit, you do everything you possibly can, and the, it takes everything in your being to keep things just okay, and it takes a crumb to take down the whole house of cards. Like, even if you're arguing with a friend or your spouse and, like, you say all of these wonderful things for months and months and months, and they're just like, okay, it's so nice that you care about me. You say one thing, one thing that you shouldn't say, and it's you always say this stuff. And it's like, what are we working for? You ever just think, like, what is the end game? What are we striving for? When will we ever say this is what we were working for? When will we ever say that? And what I want to say here at the end of the year and to brace us for next year is the end game is never an end. We should never be looking to be finished. We should never be looking to be finished working, finished parenting, finished friending, finished Christianing, whatever it is, even in the book of Revelation, in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be kingdoms coming and going, and there will be a tree that's for the healing of the nations, even in the world to come in its fully restored place. We're going to be doing things. Finishing and being done is never the end game to begin with. It's never the end game. What God wants to tell us today is very simple. This is going to be as simple of a message as I could possibly come up with. But God told me very clearly, I want to sanctify the mess. I want people to know that the mess is holy. The mess of the home, 
the mess of relationship, the mess in our own soul, the mess of the injustices in the world. It's the Christian's job to never just eradicate mess, but to be a presence that sanctifies and makes holy the mess. Jesus was born into a mess, and Jesus sure enough created one. Amen? He sanctified the mess. Uh, a long time ago, I preached a sermon called The Point of Attack, and I was talking about how when you discipline yourself to say you're going to do whatever it is, I'm going to start a new trend in my life, you never know how you're doing until the first moment where a condition arises where you wouldn't do that thing. And then you do it that time, and that's when there's actually change. That's when there's actually change. If, it, if you're not tired after running four laps, you didn't really start jogging until you get to the fifth one. Right? It's always in the moment where you would stop doing something that was a discipline, and you do it one more time in a condition where you would never want to. That's when change begins. If every time we get motivated to make changes, to clean up the mess, and then at the point of attack, we fall back, well, we're always going to be getting there and then falling backwards, getting there and then falling backwards. God wants us to see our mess a little bit differently. He wants us to see our mess as holy. I had this experience on Christmas Eve. We had our whole family over our house from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and then we had a service here that Jacqueline and I were running at 10 p.m., and I realized very, very quickly that from now on, I'm probably not going to put ourselves in a position where our house is completely upside down five minutes before we have to leave on Christmas Eve when it's already late, because Satan just showed up after everybody left. Like, everyone left, and it was so good, and then I was like, who's at the door? He's like, Satan's like, I'm at the door. I was invited. And I'm like, come on in. Come on in. Welcome. You're a little late, but welcome. So everybody leaves. And I had like visions of sugar plums dancing in my head of getting to the church at 830. <laughs> Everyone left at 8. Strike one on me. That's on me. Like I'm at the press conference and I'm like, all right, before everybody asks, like that, that mistake was on me. I made that mistake. And we start cleaning. And I, I, I'm jumping on in, and I'm helping with dishes. And then for some reason, you know, Satan touches Theo. And it's just like, and Theo starts going nuts. Not regular cute crying. Not even regular not cute crying. Horrible, horrible not cute crying. And like, like where he's like, when he takes the breath to cry again, you're actually happy that you're getting a break. And then he cries again, and you're like, I hope he loses his breath again. So he's like, <gasps> and you're like, oh, thank God for peace. And you're like, all right. So that's happening. Sophia decided to paint her new carpet that we just had installed in her room. So Jacqueline is feverishly trying to get paint out. The, Sophia's really cranky because it's late. I'm really cranky because I'm a man. Jacqueline's really cranky because she's taking care of all three children. The house is upside down. I'm like literally, I, I was standing here at 1025 preaching on Christmas Eve. One hour before, I'm, I'm like scrubbing out like barbecue sauce burnt on the side of a crock pot. Like, come on, Jesus, please. I'd give anything for this to go away. And I think to myself, you know, I'm supposed to be at the church preparing to preach. Why am I doing this? And right there the Holy Spirit said, you need to start seeing this as preparation to preach. This is preparation to hear from me. This is preparation to grow as a person. 
this moment that you're in with kids crying, tension in the home, Christmas Eve, wanting to idealize it, needing to get to the church. Yo, I got here, I got here at 9.30, and I walked in, and Karina's like, hi, pastor, and I'm like, you too! Like, I was so, I was just so out of it, so completely out of it, so intense, and the Holy Spirit stops me in that moment in my house, an hour after I had wanted to be at the church. You are preparing to preach right now. This is the mess that I don't want you to avoid. I don't want you to think you're, good, you're better if you can get rid of it. I want my people to be able to stand in a mess and see me, feel me, and hear me in it. And not feel like you have to get rid of it, like you're less than because it's happening, like you could have done better. But just hear me in the mess. It's what Jesus being born in the manger and not the inn is all about. Sometimes we can be so intense on cleaning the outside of the cup, the aesthetic of our home, the procedures and principles that make us look so shiny and right that we actually push Jesus out and have no room for him in there. Our devotions with the Lord, and I'm saying this as somebody who was getting ready to preach Sometimes our devotions are not flipping Bible pages. Sometimes our devotions are the next task that we have in front of us. And the Holy Spirit's going to meet us in that task the way he meets us in the Bible. Ian, can you put the picture up of Mike's house? Look at all the stockings the Mandias have to hang up. (laughs) That's not Christmas stockings. That's doing laundry 100 years ago. Like, that is... Like, by the time they're done, there's two more days until next Christmas. So, Mike didn't know that this note is in my notes. Devotions may be people, not just Bible. And Mike didn't know this. And Mike sends me that picture. And we're talking in the office just before service. And Mike said, I got in bed that night on Christmas night. And he said, I got in bed and I realized I hadn't read the Bible today. And he said that, like, old feeling crept up in me, like I've done something wrong. And he said, immediately, the Holy Spirit said to me, when you hung up those stockings, you were praying. Because your whole family is represented on that wall. All the ups and the downs, the blessings, the the peaks and the valleys, all that is on that wall. And one by one, you cared for every single member of your growing family. See, we have to realize there's a mentality that says, I got to get out of the mess so I can get into the Bible. I got to get out of the mess so I can get to church. We got to get out of it. We have to clean this up so that we can look like we're more proper, orderly Christians. And what makes us different is not getting rid of the mess, but it's standing in it and finding the baby in a manger tucked away inside that mess. That's what changes everything. The world will always be in a mess. We have to be people who aren't trying to always eradicate it or idealize it or make us think that we have been cleaning the outside of every single cup while the inside is where God wants there to be order. Order is not about the external, but about the right orderings inside of our heart. So I was, I was in Walmart. Don't know why on Christmas Eve. Don't do that to yourself. I was looking for slippers, okay? I was looking for slippers. I wanted a pair of slippers and decided I'm going to go to Walmart on Christmas Eve. I don't know what's wrong with me. Put me on the prayer chain too. And in the area, I hear a dad say, let's go. And his whole, he had like four kids. His whole family 
just walks right behind him and leaves. And you know what I thought? I think something's wrong in that home. I'm not kidding. Something's not right. See, we have been taught at times that when you say let's go and everybody lines up perfectly. Children. Let's just talk about children. Forget about the wife lining up perfectly, which is also alarming. And I'm not saying that to be funny. Something's not right. I am dead serious. Something is not right in that scenario. When one voice says let's go and everyone fearfully just stands behind. There's something not good. But we look at that and think that there's something orderly about it. When the, the way that you know that children are healthy in a home is if they can actually be children. When you raise your family, when you raise your children to be who they're supposed to be at that age, that's when it's healthy. So if they're supposed to be sloppy and crazy at a particular age, and they're sloppy and crazy at a particular age, you're doing a good job, mom and dad, not a bad one. I I really hope this frees somebody, because we're not supposed to raise four-year-olds that act like adults. We're supposed to raise children to be free to be exactly who they're supposed to be at any given age in whatever context of life they're in. And don't think that we don't give ourselves that excuse. Jacqueline and I did not actually, we actually did not have a meltdown on Christmas Eve, which is more impressive than Jesus walking on water or feeding the 5,000, that we got through that on the same team. But there's moments where you step right up to the comment that could sink the Titanic, And it's right there. And in these moments, we excuse ourselves. I know I was rude just now, but I'm really, really tired. We excuse ourselves. But then when it comes to kids, we don't let them say, but I'm, we just tell them how they're supposed to be and don't say anything else. That's not good. So I was thinking in that moment when I saw Drill Sergeant Dad do that, that somebody recently said to me, you know, you never, you never yell at your daughter when she, like, runs around the church after you tell her to come here a few times after church. You, ne- you, never, you never, and first of all, mind your business. And second of all, don't ever try to tell me how to parent at my job ever. But there's a hierarchy. When I say to Sophia, come here, what do I want her to do? I want her to come here. But I also tell her that I want her to have fun at church. Right? And so in a moment where she's at church and I'm saying come here, two different lessons I've taught her are happening at the same time. And so at church, I say, hey, Sophia, come here. We're getting ready to go. And she says, I want to say bye to Levi one more time, which means I'm going to hide in a crevice of this church that you didn't know existed and you'll never be able to find me again. In that moment, I have a decision between two kinds of lessons I'm teaching. I could go with the, when I say come here, you come here lesson, or I could go with the, I want you to have fun at church lesson, and you are having fun at church right now. It's a mess, but it's a holy mess. Because we stand in that moment and take it case by case and say, in this mess, what do I want to prioritize? When the right ordering is here and not in the external, that's when health can happen. And so we say, okay, fine. If I'm in a parking lot and I say, come here, and she doesn't, yes, there's going to be stern uh, response. When we're at church, I shouldn't be saying this out loud with her here because she's never going to come here now ever again. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're in a mess and things are conflicted and different and lines are crossing, when you're in that space, you have to stop and say, I don't want to have, I don't want to impress upon the situation an external order. I want to stand in the mess, and I want to be ordered in here. 
I want to be ordered in here. What is the spirit? What is the goodness in this situation saying? Well, you know what? She's having fun with her friends at church. Maybe one day I want some dude to get on his knee in front of these churches and ask Sophia to marry him here because we helped her enjoy the place here. Right? I'd love her to be in Carmen's situation one day where some guy says, when I ask you to marry me, I want to ask you to marry me at the church because that's where we met meaningfully. Right? And so I, th- these things happen all the time. Like when, when principles collide, there's a mess. And you have to choose between what's going on. Sometimes your home could be an absolute disaster because you're having a disastrous week. And I want you to know, when you're having a disastrous week and your home is disastrous, it's consistent and there's integrity there. You're not doing something wrong. When it should be messy and it's messy, then something good happened. The, f- the force we put on ourselves to have to make everything look shiny, even though we're in a season where we're getting our brains beat in by life, but now we have this added sort of like Pharaoh taskmaster pressure to have to make everything look like we're not having, or it's, it's a testimony. If I'm having a bad week and my house looks great, it's a testimony. It's not. It's enslaving. Sometimes you're going to pop into our house and you're going to be like, wow, the Dandrianos really have it together. They're great. And then other times you're going to pop in and be like, let's just go. Let's just get out of here. What is going on in here? I'm pretty sure I saw a demon. We just got to we got to get out of here. We got to go. It's just going to happen and and we can't kill ourselves or beat ourselves up when it does. I want everybody to hear this. Jesus washed our feet. This is going to be something. This is a 2022 statement. Jesus washed our feet so that we could learn to have sanctified wandering in our life. Sanctified wandering in our life. When you get into a situation where you don't know where to start or what the end would look like. I mean, we've, we, that, that could be how you feel in your life. It could also be how you feel when you just see a, a, like a real messy room or your car's a mess or there's a finan- you're in a bad financial spot and you're just like, I don't even know where to start right now because it's such a mess. I'm just going to sit down and watch Netflix until I feel terrible and then I'm going to go to bed. That's what I'm going to do right now. And we don't know where to start and it's paralyzing. And the Holy Spirit told me there was this one moment where my foot was going crazy Jacqueline's pregnant. I can't really help. It just felt so chaotic to me. Like this, none of this is natural. Like, why are you letting this happen? I kept saying, my surgery got delayed five times. You could have had my surgery happen so I would be healed and ready for this baby to come. And instead, you're putting me down at the worst time. It feels so chaotic. And the Holy Spirit said this, wander through it. Wander through it. Like, literally, this is my life. I'm like, okay, I'm just meandering through all of my problems. Like, here I am, Lord. And then I read in uh, one of Chris Green's books, he said, not everyone who wanders is lost, but only those who wander can be found. Not everyone who wanders is lost, but only those who are wandering can be found. And there's a moment where the Holy Spirit said, just walk through the mess and pick one thing up at a time, literally or metaphorically, however you want to take that. Just start someplace. And don't think there's so much more. Just wander through it. Wander through it. And so I just want to share three things, and I want to use some of the kids' art to do this. This is hilarious. I just want to share three things here of what we do 
while we're wandering through the mess. Instead of getting enslaved by the mess, you wander through it. Your marriage is is struggling, wander through it. If you're having an issue parenting and you're feeling like all you're ever doing is yelling and getting on your kids and you feel bad about yourself, but the more bad about yourself you feel, the more they kind of seem to act up and then you keep doing the things that make you feel bad about yourself, like all this kind of stuff, and you use all of your personal experiences in all your different areas, when we're just in that never-ending mess, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever it is, God is just saying, just, just start wandering. Don't try to find the path. Just start wandering. And just pick one thing up at a time. Whatever you bump into next in this mess, just just put it where it's supposed to be. So what are three things that we do while we wander? Number one, very simple, appreciation. Appreciate. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of the chaos, when it's all going nuts, I sat there on Christmas Eve and said, fine, I'm actually so grateful that after all the things we've been through the last two years, this house was just filled with my family. And these dishes in this sink show that we had food. We sat at a table. We shared stories. We bore each other's burdens. We laughed. We joked. We cried. And we're about to see each other at church in a little while, if I can get there and if I don't die first. It's just appreciation right there in the moment. Hadley drew this picture. And I love this because this, she's, she's telling adults what we have to do. <laughs> because sometimes the only way that I could find goodness is to imagine it. <laughs> because it's not readily in front of my face. Like, in the moment of Theo going absolutely crazy, Sophia freaking out because we're mad that she painted her rug. I'm like, why couldn't you have repainted the bathroom if you were going to paint something? Like, <laughs> mom's been on me about that. You know, why didn't you get some nice, like, country light bluish gray and just throw it up on the wall? One coat. I'll do the second one. Nope, she painted her carpet. And there's times where I have to sit there in that moment of chaos and be like, okay, I love candy canes, so that's good. Smiley face emoji, all right? Let me paste one on real fast. And think about the cross. And think about how Jesus felt when he's hanging there. The ultimate act of cleaning. The ultimate act of love. And one by one, we just walk away, just not even paying attention, not even caring. And a picture like this reminds me that imagine, imagining something isn't fake. It's pulling a reality that's there, that's being covered by the mess. It's pulling it out from behind the mess and putting it right into the center. It's not being fake. It's knowing that The sweetness of God, the gifts of God, the happiness of God, the love of God, the cross of God isn't just in my imagination, but that's the first place I could find it. And when I find it in my hope, now I can find it in this chaos in the kitchen. Right? This isn't faking it. This is actually saying, close your eyes for a moment in the chaos and say, the cross really is here. The, the mystery of God really is here. The happiness of God really is here. And when you sit down and you begin to appreciate what really is, that even if you can't see it, it starts to somehow get itself into the visible. And you hear the Holy Spirit say, you are preparing to preach right now. You're preparing right now. A, a, a man who can stand in his home and serve is preparing to preach. That's what the Holy Spirit told me. And so that idea of, of, of thinking in the moment of a mess 
of all of the good and wonderful things and apprehending them and bringing them into our moment, it doesn't make the mess go away, but it just, it, it lets you know that you can walk through this and you can actually beautify a mess. You're not defined by your mess. You're not defined by your last struggle. You're not defined by your last sickness. You're not defined by the bump on your foot. You're not defined by the surgery. You're not defined by the failure. There are so many other things happening that this moment doesn't define you. Those thoughts motivate you to look at the moment and say, I'm going to put a Christmas ornament on this mess because God is good in the midst of it. So appreciate. In the, do not wait until things are calm to show appreciation. Show it when, you, when everyone else would be expecting you never to be appreciative. And that will begin to change the temperature in your home and in your heart. If you only appreciate at the end, like, you know, after you have the big fight, you're like, oh, I said some things I shouldn't have said, but I just want you to know I love you. I love you too. If we could learn to say that before the comments that are not a tree of life, we'll just say. <laughs> Imagine being able to pull appreciation in front of the impulsive comments or just the impulsive negative train of thoughts that starts to rapidly grow through our mind when it's just cascading negative thoughts before we could even blink and we're starting to buy into the own, our own fake news in our own head. Forget the fake news on TV. It is the fake news in my own mind when I'm in a mess. That's the news I should really be concerned about. But when I can interrupt that with appreciation, you start to heal things even while they're messy. The next thing is celebrate. Make goodness happen to someone during the mess. Whatever the mess is. Celebrating somebody is making is pointing out goodness in their life and making goodness happen for them. We have a picture here called Joe's Monster. <laughs> Joe's Christmas Monster. I love this painting because I had to do a little investigating about it. And here's a Christmas monster, which probably is him painting me on Christmas Eve before I came to church. I turned into the Grinch who was going to steal not just Whoville's Christmas, but I was going to steal anybody's Christmas who I saw next. And he drew a picture of this Christmas monster, which, if we're not kidding ourselves, in, in the moment of mess when you feel overwhelmed, there really is something monstrous that rises up in us because we need to get control. And when we can't get control in our mess, we start to control other people. Sometimes accusing other people and saying it's your fault that I'm in this mess is the way that we do it. Like Martha, you know, when Mary was sitting down at Jesus' feet, Martha's saying, you know what, she's not helping me, Lord, she's not helping me. And Jesus said, you know what, Martha, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for your serving, I wouldn't be here. But there's this monster starting to come up out of you now because you served to get me here, but listen to me. You served to get me here, but then you never stopped serving. And there's a point where you need to sit in the opportunities that your serving has created, and you need to get some you time with me. Because if you don't ever get to enjoy the fruit of your serving, you will get angry and start to accuse we serve and serve and serve and serve, and we're convinced that serving is the best thing, and it is. But there's a point where if you just always feel enslaved to having to keep serving, that you'll never sit at Jesus' feet. Because here's the thing, Mary's heart was as clean as Martha's home because she had time to sit at Jesus' feet. So there's a moment where Jesus is saying, 
I, there's, a, there's this monster coming out. And the goodness of the serving, now this monstrous feeling is starting to come out. And he drew snow, snowing on this monster. And it's not Jesus rebuking the monster or getting rid of it, but he's just letting his beauty kind of fall on it. We want to jump to big things. I need to get rid of this thing in me that makes me accusatory and angry. I need to get everybody in the house perfectly. Like, I need to change all this. But Jesus doesn't move very fast. I don't know if anybody knows this or not. Jesus, first, let, let some, let's have some snow fall on this. Let's just make the mess pretty for a second. I forgot to trim the hedges in front of our house before the first frost came. And... It looks terrible, except for when it snows on it. And I'm like, God, why couldn't we have had more snow? <laughs> but, like, there's something about snow falling on things that are even, like, if you just see snow, like, if falling on garbage outside before garbage pickup, there's something about snow that makes everything look nice. Before Jesus sifts through all of our mess, he beautifies it. Like, calm down and let his love fall on you. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with the monster. But first, let my goodness just kind of fall on this whole entire situation. Just let it fall on it. And then we'll just pick up one piece at a time. Simple, but really not so simple. So we appreciate in the moment of a mess. Not after or before Salem. In the mess, appreciate, celebrate, and then investigate. Find where Jesus is tucked away in your mess. Don't find Jesus as if finding Jesus means the mess is over, and now we have found him. Find him. He's somewhere hidden, like in Hadley's imagination of the present. He's somewhere hidden to be unwrapped and found in your mess. He wants to be found in the chaos of your life. And I would even wager to say that the chaos may hang around long enough for you to find him there. But he wants to be found there. Jake drew a picture of the manger. What I love about the manger is the first two animals you see are like, yo, that used to be our house. And now other people are in it. So we're just going to come out here to the fire and, and talk a little bit because Jesus just showed up and now we have nowhere to be. <laughs> so they're just out there having a conversation like on break from worshiping. But what I love about this is in this mess of not having room in the inn, there's angels. And it reminded me of two stories in the Bible where when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, in Mark's gospel, when he's being tempted in the wilderness, it says that angels came and were ministering to him. In his mess, they were strengthening him to remain in the mess. They weren't getting rid of the mess. They were strengthening Jesus to be in the mess. And then, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Mark's Gospel, it says when he was praying that an angel came and was strengthening him. In two of Jesus' messes, an angel shows up and is there strengthening him to be in the mess well. That's not popular Christianity. It's actual Christianity. The angels are there strengthening you and making you able to stay in the mess 
and beautify and sanctify the moment that you're in and not need to escape it or not need to force it to end by being manipulative and controlling and idealistic. But there's angels always around us strengthening us and to be strong enough to stay in the mess even our own internal mess. It doesn't need to be resolved tomorrow, and you're not broken because it's not. Angels are strengthening you to stand in your own mess, be strong enough to see it, and watch God with patience and endurance over the long haul bring healing one snowflake at a time. A few more paintings just for fun. (laughs) Judah's birthday, Jesus. First of all, I think he painted my eyes. Because my eyes go like this sometimes. I know you've all seen it. Laugh at me if you will. But sometimes... Sometimes this eye just goes on a break. It's tired of the other eye. They're like married and one of them's like, oh, and just goes off on a break. What I love about birthday Jesus here is that... He looks a little wrecked. Like, Jesus seems a little like he's had a bad day. Hair's kind of ratty. Like, uh, he's got one of those smiles on that says, it's not the smile that I'm happy. It's the smile like, how are you doing? I'm going to murder my entire family shortly. So how are you doing? Like, and what I, what I wrote down is the birthday comes, and not being able to stop is actually more enslaving than feeling like you have to get everything perfectly ready for a perfect day. Not being able to just stop when things are chaotic in your life, and then a moment comes that you're supposed to celebrate. Like things are chaotic, and somebody, the person you've been waiting to talk to that you've called and texted five times decides to call right in the middle of insane chaos, or a birthday comes, or an anniversary comes, or a holiday comes, and it's right in the middle, like you're just saying this came at the absolute worst time, Our inability to stop, let the chaos just rage around us to stop, celebrate what needs to be celebrated, even if we are like crazy stressed Jesus here, right? And stop. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. One of my favorite moments in any book I've ever read was a book written by a Jewish rabbi named Abraham Heschel. His daughter wrote the first part of the book, and she used to say that two minutes before the Sabbath began was her favorite time because it was the time that she said the kitchen was a disaster because we were getting ready for our... um, our Sabbath meal to begin, we were getting ready for dad to come home from temple and everything was a complete disaster in the kitchen. But at six o'clock we had to stop. And she said, there was nothing more freeing than working really hard, knowing you're not going to get it completely done. And then at six o'clock, just being able to walk away from work yet undone. Nothing more freeing than being able to say, the Sabbath is here. The kitchen is a disaster. We get to walk away from this. Sit down and celebrate. That mess will be there when, we, when the Sabbath is over and we will clean it. There's something very freeing about that. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person where when I want to sit down and read a book, I need everything around me to be perfect. 
So I was like, all right, I'm just going to straighten up my office. I was like, I'm going to light some candles. All right. Uh, You know what? The family room's a little messy. Let me go clean it up. You know what? I need to have some music playing and my Bluetooth speaker's off. And, like, next thing you know, it's, like, been eight and a half hours of me setting up to read, and I'm like, I don't want to read anymore. It's like, but Jesus, 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 it's his birthday, and he's having a rough one, and he's like, it's time to stop. I'm going to celebrate this. I'll get back to the crazy, imperfect world falling down around me tomorrow. We have to do this. It's enslaving to, when you can't relax until things are perfect, you are worshiping the perfection that you will never, ever be able to see. Rest in a mess. Rest in a mess. And if you're hearing me say it's okay to have messes all week, that's not what I'm saying at all, lazy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's moments to sit down and say, I'm going to get to this tomorrow. I need, what am I working for if I can't sit down with my family and enjoy something? What am I working for? What's the point of it all? All right. Ah, Napoleon. This one I like. I like this because there's an ornament on my parents' tree of a similar picture, except I think I was 16 when I drew it. (laughs) Horrible, the picture of Jesus in the manger. I colored him green and brown. I don't know what I was thinking. But what I love about this is that when I saw this, I thought of the locked doors story I was saying a few weeks ago, that to make things neat is sometimes to avoid unity. When you have... Uh, the red crayons here and the blue crayons here. And like, like when we first bought Sophia her gigantic crate of crayons, Jacqueline was just set on every time she was done having everything be put away so perfectly. That lasted 15 minutes. And now when we could just like shove all the crayons in there and shove it into the drawer and pray to God that the drawer doesn't open. And like if somebody goes so open, like, no, no, don't open that drawer. And everything just like flies out. Uh, then sometimes I'm like, Sophia, you open the drawer. <laughs> um, there's something about things being perfectly neat that actually is sort of where racism comes from. White's over here. Black's over here. That's neat, but it's not right. It's evil. It's broken. It's a huge mess, even though it looks... When you blend things, when you, when you have everything happening together, it can appear very, very messy. And I thought of the locked door story where Jesus comes into locked doors because in in Revelation 4, he's going to knock on the door. And the reality is we need Jesus to have gone into our room first because when he knocks, he's the only one who can open to his own knocking. Why? Because when we hear the knocking and we go to open the door, it's going to be the face of somebody that our life doesn't work with. And that's how Jesus shows up. And only Jesus can open to somebody whose life doesn't work with his. We need Jesus in our life to open the door to Jesus disguised as somebody who doesn't fit our morality, who doesn't fit our stances, who doesn't fit our way of doing things. Only Jesus in us can open to himself in the form of that person. Our life should look messy like this because that right there, that is not a mess. That's clean. If all of those colors were perfectly separated, that would be a mess. That would be a disaster. But everything messy and blended together, that is 
absolute unity, and it's so messy to have that kind of unity. I remember somebody saying to me, Pastor, you know, 30 years ago, I knew exactly what we believed, and every parent that my kids went to, like every time I sent my kids to somebody's house, we believed the same things, we thought the same things, everybody went to church, everybody did this. We didn't need to worry if I sent my kids to so-and-so's house that they weren't going to go to church that night. Now, it just feels like all of our beliefs are a little different. I don't know what we believe anymore. And I was like, yeah, isn't that beautiful? though? There's all kinds of different thoughts and views about the same thing in this room right now. And that's gospel. Otherwise, it's a cult. (laughs) We don't want that. You don't need me up here telling you if you come to this church, this is what you have to believe. That's the beginning of a cult. But creating space for messy thoughts to just permeate our walk with the Lord, that is health. It seems like a mess, but Jesus loves that mess. Things grow well in that mess. People learn from each other in that mess. Everything else is the beginning of a cult. So good picture, Napoleon. Oh, I love this. And yes, Sophia, we're getting to yours. So hang on. Levi and Joshua drew... I love this because I hate taking family pictures more than I hate Satan, I think. I don't even know why people still want me there when we're doing it. Like, I've been trying to create a world where I don't, like, I'm so bad at it that people are like, we're going to take a family picture. Uh, Bill, can you take it? (laughs) Here's two, here's two family pictures. And, and, and what I love about this is, um, Chris taught me, he said, when you look at old religious art, once in a while, you'll see a painting, a religious painting, where the painting looks way too small for the canvas, and there's a lot of blank canvas around it. And it was a strategy from from Christian artists to paint the picture with only like a little bit in the middle of the painting, and the rest of the canvas is just blank. And the reason was is because it was a call to the church to say, you have to fill out the rest of this painting. All of the blank spaces where your work comes in. And what I love about the, these two paintings is this, is this is from the eye of a child. And Sophia has brought me to tears with this. Where on, on family picture days like this, whether it's tree cutting day, and anyone who's gone tree cutting with me knows this past year was the best one because I couldn't go find a tree because of my foot. So I was away from everybody. And everyone's like, this was a really good year. Right, because I wasn't, I get it, okay. I was sitting in the van. That's why everybody had such a good time. Um, We all know how crazy these moments can be, but from the eyes of a child, they only put family, and there's no mess behind it. It's just blank. Because this is how children see us. We swear they're going to remember the worst, but they remember the hand-holding, the family time, the picture, that moment where I... I yelled at Sophia the night before, and in the morning she came down and said, hey, remember you cuddled me last night? And I was just like, God, help me to have that kind of memory with other people. Help me remember the good and not the mess. Help me live toward the world, not like the world is taking things from me, but remembering the moments where we were mutually having a moment. And so when a kid draws, like we all know what goes into having a family moment like that. And if we were drawing that picture, there'd be 
a house like on fire or something in the background to get to this moment where everything is good. There'd be storm in the background or a messy room in the background or, I don't know, police in the background, whatever it would be. There'd be all kinds of craziness. And children see the moment and they just see family and they don't see the mess. And I know this is how Jesus sees us and it's why he wants us to be childlike. And so I close with this last one. My daughter, she drew something... I'm going to brag on her like that parent for a moment. She drew something that is spectacular here. She drew what's supposed to be the three crosses of Good Friday. Except the two thieves' crosses have become Christmas trees. Let this hover over you for a moment. She didn't make three Christmas trees, which is what I would expect. She left Jesus' cross because it is itself beautiful. And it makes the ugliness of the other crosses beautiful. Out of her spirit comes this picture of Jesus' cross making the mess holy and decorative and alive. And she knows where her father stands because she made both crosses turn into Christmas trees, not just the good thief. All brokenness becomes Christmas tree. And in a sermon during Advent, Bonhoeffer says this, through all the Advents of our life, we shall wait and look forward with longing for the day of the Lord when God says, I am making everything new. Go back to the picture, please. She is saying the cross makes the mess beautiful. This is powerful. This is what God is doing in your life. But here's more importantly, this is what God wants us to do in the messes around us. He doesn't want us to just get rid of messes. See, like in the Old Testament, Israel had to travel to the promised land. They had to leave one bad area and go to a good area. But that's, that's only an analogy of the real story. The real story isn't that we go someplace. The real story is that all place becomes the promised land. That's why the end of all the prophecies are there will be streams. Where? Where? In the desert, we're not going to leave the desert to go to a place of streams. The streams are going to happen in our mess. We don't have to leave it to go find a good place. All place is going to become God's good place. All the world is going to become God's heaven. All mess is going to become beautiful. Our job is to sanctify it while we wait. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Okay, John. For the love of God. Man. Yeah, you are all confident now, boy. Just wait. He invites our mess into his at his table every single Sunday. On the night he was betrayed, it was a mess. What did he do in the mess? Sit down. Sit down with me. 
can you imagine doing that in 2022 when it's a mess? Before you do anything, before you react, before you flip, before you get overwhelmed, you just sit down, sit down with him and listen to his words. On the night that he was in a mess, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Your life is in a mess. Mine is going to turn into a mess. But my mess is going to touch your mess. And I'm going to turn your mess into a Christmas tree. I'm going to turn your mess into something that's evergreen. I'm going to turn your mess into a tree that doesn't die. I'm going to turn your mess into the tree of life. Don't run away from the mess because the mess is the location where my restoration is coming. And after supper, he took, John has made fun of the size of this, so now I feel weird every time I pick it up. Yep. Said it looks like a pimp cup, didn't you? I'm going to let you make jokes because you're a little stressed, and I get it, and it's okay. You got a lot going on. You got a lot going on. But the way I deal with feeling weird is to just talk about it out loud, and I now feel very comfortable in front of people. So my good friend made this for us. It's, he, it's, he, it could have been a little smaller. I, you know, I'm not saying that. It looks like. It's the size of, like, a margarita at, like, Cafe Maya or something. <laughs> See this, though? This is what I love about you. We, you there's, there's so much mess in this room right now, but we can crack up, and now we're going to go back to being serious again. Do you know what that does that sanctifies the mess? We're serious, but we're not too serious. We get frustrated, but not too frustrated, because we know that Jesus just lets his snow fall on the mess. And he beautifies it, and we can laugh a little bit. But now that joke is over forever. You think? (laughs) He's such an introvert, he cannot stand this. But you like it a little bit, though. I know you do. After supper, Jesus, with two hands, lifted this very heavy goblet. (laughs) And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many. I'm going to look a mess tonight. But that mess, that blood is going to pour all over yours. And I'm going to say today, right here, right now, in this mess, you're with me in paradise. That's where he is. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people, the body and blood of your son, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And we pray that you would sanctify us right now, right here in the middle of all the good, the bad, and the ugly that we have going on. Sanctify us. Help us to not be enslaved to having to complete everything, but live the joy of wandering around. You you, you washed our feet so that we could wander in a sanctified way and find you in your manger, hidden in, in the middle of our chaos. And so we pray that we would not only do that in our own life, but that we would find you tucked away in the lives of others and point you out to them and show them that even though it can be messy, there's beauty happening in the middle of that mess. We thank you and we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you partake with me this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.